So earlier this year, I took my son Finn uh, on a tour of Citizens Bank Park. Uh, It was part of the annual third grade field trip for Fort Washington Elementary School. Of course, our first stop was the stadium store where Finn got his Philly sunglasses. And from what I could tell, the most popular item that day among third graders, the foam number one finger. After we worked our way through the store, we went into the park and we watched a video all about how the park was built and put together and the life there. And then the tour guides took us from there through the park. Uh, We went up to the corporate boxes where the kids were amazed that you could get unlimited food during the games. And the parents were amazed at the price tag and what they cost. We went to the press boxes where local and Uh, National media outlets cover the games. We saw where the radio broadcast happens and the television broadcast happens. We went up even further. We went to the Swank owners' boxes, to the Major League Baseball boxes, and then made our way through the Philadelphia Sports Museum, which is located uh, in the stadium as well with all kinds of local lore and sports treasures. Then we kind of worked our way down into the stadium. We went into this huge restaurant cafe area um, down in the park. And then we went a little further and we saw the indoor batting cages uh, where the Phillies practice. Uh, The tour guide was careful to point out the boom box that was there that Jimmy Rollins had left before he was traded. Um, It's like a relic. Um, And then uh, from there, you could see that the manager's office overlooks the batting cages. So we could look up into the the window and see the manager's office. Uh, Next, from there, we went to the media room where the managers and players do press conferences after the game. The kids had a great time sitting up on the stage. Um, We were told, uh, you know, the the lights are perfect for for television, but that room also divides so that if the other team has to do a press conference about a trade or some record uh, being met, they they could do that. And they showed us the door where the manager escapes from the media back to his office, which is pretty necessary these days. Uh, Then we walked walked through these maze of hallways. We went by the Philly Fanatics locker room where we were told the only bath bathtub in the entire stadium is in the Fanatics locker room for obvious reasons. Uh, Across from the Fanatics locker room is the umpire's locker room. And we were told that, uh, you know, whereas all the doors in the entire stadium have the name of whatever the the room is and then Braille underneath it so people could read it if they're blind, the umpire's room does not have the Braille uh, (laughs) with the expectation that they can see 2020. It's not... Not always the case. Um, And then we went into the dugout. We sat in the dugout where the Phillies sit. And then they led us onto the field only on the warning track, not onto the grass. Don't touch the grass. But onto the warning track. So we got down at field level to see the field. And then next, the piece de resistance, the locker room. And this is Finn in front of Chase Utley's locker. Um, And what was kind of interesting was the the team was... um, on an away tour, so uh, they, were, they hadn't been in town for, uh, for several days. Uh, and there were all these boxes, you could see on the right, that were piled up all over the locker room. We were like, why are all these boxes here? You know, you want to keep this kind of clean stuff. So, well, all the guys have their mail delivered to the stadium when they're away on a road trip, and they pick it up when they come home. So there are boxes and boxes and boxes of, uh, of things waiting for the Phillies when they returned. 
Um, it was really a cool and really an amazing experience because there is like so much more to that stadium than you think if you were just attending to the game. And I've been to games there. Um, and really when you go you, for game time, you really only see a fraction of the stadium. Right? You see the gate and your seats and the concessions, but there is so much more. You could go 81 games, all, all the home games every season, or maybe even make your way to a corporate box, and you'd only see a small, small percentage of everything that makes that stadium and the Phillies tick. And I was reminded of this field trip uh, this week because for me, church is a lot like that. There is so much that happens here that most of us don't see. Even if we come every Sunday morning, we only see a small percentage of everything that happens. Uh, Maybe we just see this end of the building, or maybe just Sunday school or the adult forum or choir. Sunday is our biggest day, our game day. We spend all week preparing for Sunday morning. But this is hardly all that there is to our life together. Even the staff and the pastors don't see every single thing because there is so much more going on. You know, there are plenty more places like the stadium here. We have the outdoor chapel and the cemetery and the multi-purpose room and the fellowship hall. And if you're lucky enough to see the boiler room, you know, all these out-of-the-way places but also these ministries that we rarely see, Project Day that make uh, little blankets for sick kids or prayer shawl ministry or repairs that get done around the building the week and we show up and everything is perfect and works. Uh, or the flow of people that come in and out of this building throughout the week, nursery school and meetings from our local community. And I think around, about this around stewardship time as we reflect on our spiritually, you know, our, our spiritually need to give, but also on the practical nuts and bolts of not only maintaining but growing all the great ministries and the great congregation that we have. I mean, we buy curricula for kids, craft supplies, music scores, software, paper to print all the bulletins and inserts, better sound equipment, programs that promote understanding and faith, Recently, interfaith dialogue and visiting our uh, Beth Orr, our local synagogue, and having Muslim women here in church just a couple, uh, just last weekend, which is so needed, we see in the world. It pays for coffee, for coffee, (laughs) youth activities, websites, keeping this building warm and safe and cool and something that we're proud of. I don't know if you know, but in our budget, 10% of our annual budget goes to the buildings and grounds to keep up and maintain everything that we've got going on on this property. About 23% of our budget goes to all of those ministry areas, all the supplies and activities that we do. And about two-thirds or 67% of our budget is staff. What an amazing amazing staff we had. You know, I've served other places and I travel around the church. And I can just tell you, we have an amazing staff, among the best there is. We are so incredibly blessed by the people that lead us in this church. And there really is so much more to it. And together, we are asked each year to consider God's gifts to us and what we ourselves can make as a gift. And I get it. It's awkward talking about money in church. It's awkward preaching about money in church. Even though it's such a huge part of our lives and the thing that Jesus himself talked about most besides the kingdom of God, it's private, it's personal. It's a big part of where we derive our value and self-worth. 
and the source of much worry and anxiety in our lives. And that's why Jesus talked about it, because it's also a spiritual matter. I get it. There are so many reasons why it's tough. The economy is just a different economy than we're used to living in. It might be better, but not better for many people. There's more uncertainty in the markets and in our job fields. People are working harder for less. And even as they feel like they're working harder, they're not getting ahead. We and our money are pulled in so many different directions. I get it. We have four kids. I have student loans. The idea of paying for college is terrifying. We're entering into a time of life where we're starting to think about long-term financial planning more seriously, and that also is terrifying. But we also have to cover sports teams and activities and PTA fundraisers and clothes for kids that grow out of them faster than you can buy them, and food and the basic things that a kids and families need, like foam fingers. But we support this church and other charities because for us it's the right thing to do. Because we recognize with all of that, we are the fortunate ones. And we can help. And thus it's imperative that we do help. As I listened to our gospel reading last Sunday of the poor widow who put all that she had in the offering, even though it was very small, it just seemed to me, you know, that All of us in some way could grow in our giving. Everybody, maybe some by very little and others maybe by a lot, but we can all grow at every stage with families with kids or paying for college or in the prime of your career or life or on a fixed income. We could all do something. There are so many reasons which we often spend stewardship time mulling about why we can't do it. But we're invited in this season to think about how and why we can and why we should. We could slap a lot of nifty theological terminology on it, but I think where it comes down for me today is probably something that my parents taught me along the way that I hadn't realized that they had taught me along the way, which was that when you have the ability to help somebody, you do it. When you have the ability to do something, you do it especially when it's a place and a people and ministries that you value deeply, where you want to keep things humming and growing and happening. You know, for all of our lives' uncertainties, we are the fortunate ones. And by sharing our gifts, we ourselves are not only spiritually fed and nurtured, but our kids come to know Jesus and our teens build deep relationships. We help those in need, and we are supported in our faith and walked through difficult times in our lives. And the world itself is changed by what we do here together. The ripple effects of what we do here grow into tsunamis of love that wash over the world. And that's not just hyperbole. That's what Jesus promises. And the world, as we have seen, needs that witness. The larger church needs that witness. We ourselves need that witness to be reminded of the goodness in the world. We don't just give to the church so we can have nice things. We give so that the world can know God's love and hope and mercy and welcome, especially in difficult and dark times. You know, our readings for this morning are not your classical stewardship texts. Our gospel for today is the story about Jesus foretelling the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. Uh, And it it goes like this. As Jesus came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what large stones and what large buildings. 
Then Jesus asked him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left here upon another. All will be thrown down. He was foretelling that the temple would be destroyed, not because they didn't have a good stewardship program or a lot enough money in the budget to keep it up, but it was destroyed by the Roman Empire in the year 70, completely destroyed. And it was a cataclysmic event for the Jews and for the early Christians because people thought that the temple would always be there. The temple, which was the second temple, had stood for 500 years. And the first temple before that had stood for 400 years. So 900 years a temple had stood in that spot on Jerusalem. And then it was completely gone. People had thought that the temple was constant, that it was eternal, which you could understand there, standing there for a millennium. They thought it would always be there. And I wonder if maybe in some way they took that for granted. And I wonder in some ways if we can be the same with the church. You know, Lutheranism has existed for 500 years And this congregation has existed for over 250 years. And sometimes I think we can assume that it will all just go along as it has been. But it doesn't. It requires our dedication and our giving to help it thrive and grow and to change the world. We give together and we serve together because it makes an incredible difference in our own lives, in our families' lives, in our neighborhood, in our city, and also our world. It's amazing what we can do when we each do our part and when we don't wait for somebody else to do it, but jump in together. Amen.